Kevin's unknown redneck here. Kevin's asked me to welcome you to his podcast, so welcome to Kevin's Podcast Show. He has news on news crime, CNN versus Fox News. He talks about a lot of stuff on there I appreciate. And he has commentary from me. What else could you ask for? Commentary from the unknown redneck. It's a wonderful thing. And now, fresh off his sold-out Deuces and Duck Lips tour, my favorite podcast host, soon to be your favorite podcast host, Kevin Marshall. Take it away, Kevin. Hey folks, welcome to Kevin's Podcast Show. I'm your host, Kevin Marshall. Glad you could make it today. I really appreciate everybody listening. I've had some good comments. I've had some people telling me they're listening on their way to work, and that just tickles me to death. I've had a couple of new ads on the old Twitter account, and that's exciting news too. You can find me on Twitter at Podcast Kevin, at Podcast Kevin. So hit me up on Twitter. I'm there. I'll be happy to talk to you or at least acknowledge you're there. You know, spread me around. Make me famous. I'll make you famous. That's how that works. I'm also available on every platform you can think of whenever it comes to podcasting. I'm available on the iTunes, in the iTunes uh, app. I'm available on the, the iPhone podcast app. I'm available on Twitcher. I'm available on Spotify. I'm available on, uh, All these different ones, Google Play and that sort of thing, they're all available in your app store on your phones. I'm also available on the Anchor Podcast app, which is what I use to make this podcast. And if you're interested in making a podcast, get the Anchor app. It's really easy. It's free. And that's important because free is a very good thing. So, make your own podcast. Make it about underwater basket weaving or whatever suits your purpose. And you'll be as famous as me one day. Maybe. Maybe. Speaking of Twitter, I would like to start the show off today by announcing that I'd had, I've had this Twitter, Twitter account for about a week now, maybe a week and a half. And guess what? Already into a Twitter war. Yes, that's right. Already into a Twitter war with uh, some crazy liberal, of course. This lady tweeted. Okay, so she started out retweeting a, a tweet from President Donald Trump. It said, this is a very important time in our country. Due process, fairness, and common sense are now on trial. She retweeted that so that she could make fun of it. For once, Trump isn't wrong. It is a very important time in our country, and all our values actually are on trial. Lying under oath, political bias, and childish temperament should disqualify anyone from being a judge. A vote for Kavanaugh is treason. Hashtag perjury is a crime. This is Taha Ibrahimi. Well, anyway, I commented on her tweet, and I said, you're right. Dr. Blasey Ford shouldn't have lied under oath. To which she replied, Tell it to your six followers, troll, parenthetically, unless you had to invent those six accounts too, with the crying while she's laughing emoji. This just tells me right off the bat that because she's a liberal and a leftist, the first thing that she's going to do is try to invalidate me by making fun of the fact that I only had six followers. It's only been six days. What can I say? So I said, I tweeted back to her, I just started Twitter, not sure how, quote, six followers, quote, invalidates my opinion. You tweeted it. Did you expect everyone to agree and pat you on the back? Quote, three cheers to Taha Ibrahimi and then hashtag needs validation. Now, I'm not very good at Twitter, and I'm sure it sounded a little awkward whenever I was describing it there. 
But the basic point that I'm trying to make with this Twitter thing is that instead of making a some kind of valid argument about this, she just went straight into an attack mode because that's their modus operandi. Tell your six followers, troll. See, it's like, let me belittle you. Let me say you've only got six followers and you're a troll. So I'm not going to even validate your opinion. I don't expect your opinion is worth anything. So let me just get that right. It's the same tactic that they use whenever they attack Trump and they call him a racist or whatever. But it's just a name-calling little thing that they've got going on. And I, I just don't like that. I don't like it at all. But that's Twitter. So that's just the way it is. Okay, that little bit's out of the way. So we're going to get straight into our first segment, which is CNN versus Fox News. Okay, we're going to start with CNN today because I think we started with Fox News last time. So CNN, top five stories. Number one is President Donald Trump's winning streak. Wow. They're going to actually acknowledge it. Okay. Donald Trump may have never had a better time being president. Only a re-election party on the night of November the 3rd, 2020, could possibly offer the same vindication for America's most unconventional commander-in-chief as the 36 hours in which two foundational strands of his political career combining in a sudden burst of history. Trump will become an undeniably quintessential president after the Senate due to vote Saturday to confirm Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court, consecrating the conservative majority that has long been the impossible dream of the GOP. On Friday, Trump had celebrated the best jobs data for 49 years as the unemployment rate dipped to 3.7%, offering more proof of a vibrant economy that the president says has been unshackled by his tax reduction program and scything cuts to business regulations. While his 2016 election campaign was most notable for swirling chaos and shattered norms, Trump's vows to nominate conservative judges to the Supreme Court and to fire up the economy were the glue for his winning coalition. The struggle to confirm Kavanaugh split the country, deepened mistrust festering between rival lawmakers, and threatened to further drag the Supreme Court into Washington's poisoned political stew. But Trump stuck with it and ground out a win, so he has every right to return to voters in the next four weeks ahead of the midterm elections to argue he has done exactly what he said he would do. He now has a strong message to convince grassroots Republicans that it's well worth showing up to the polls. This is from CNN. It is a, an opinion piece, but it is from CNN. And it was updated this morning. That came in about 2, 2.30 this morning ahead of the Kavanaugh vote. And they're acknowledging that President Trump is winning. Kudos to CNN, I guess. That's right. Okay. Number two on CNN is Susan Rice tweets, quote, me, when asked who could challenge Maine Senator Susan Collins in 2020. Susan Wright, who is president, who was President Barack Obama's national security Advisor. It's kind of funny that Susan Rice uh, was Obama's national security advisor. Condoleezza Rice was President Bush's, and they're both black ladies. It's, that's kind of funny to me. But anyway, 
Susan Rice, who was President Barack Obama's national security advisor, caused a stir Friday afternoon when she tweeted me when another former Obama official asked who could challenge Senator Susan Collins in 2020. The short tweet, which came less than an hour after Collins, a Maine Republican, announced that she would vote to confirm Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court, caught national and state Democrats by surprise. If you're not familiar with that, Senator Susan Collins, who is a a Republican senator, but she's from Maine when Maine leans, leans to the left, of course. And we talked about this on the last podcast. She was kind of on the fence about Kavanaugh, but she read the report and she says that she's going to vote on vote the I category, which means she'll vote yes. Uh, they had a cloture vote, which is a procedural thing in senatorial committees. But anyway... Uh, Rice tweeted a little while later that she was, quote, not making any announcements, but was, quote, deeply disappointed by Collins' vote. Rice has a home in Maine, and her family has ties to the state. Her mother, an education policy expert who was instrumental in the creation of the Pell Grant, was born there. Now, let me just say this. Rice, like I said, it's a black lady, but all these people who say that black people are kept down, not only was Rice a, a very prominent figure in Barack Obama's administration as security advisor, national security advisor, but also her mother was an education policy expert and helped start the uh, Pell Grant, which of, of which I was a recipient of. So thank you to her mother, whatever her mother's name is. But just making the point that black people don't, they're not down in this country. Their unemployment rates are low. They have every opportunity that white folks do. And I think that it is a disservice to black people to tell them that they're not as good or that they're being put upon or that they're not, they don't have the same struggle that white people do. Poor people have the same struggle. It doesn't matter whether you're black or white or Hispanic or whatever uh, race you happen to be. If you're poor, you have a struggle, and that struggle is the same either way. All right, so that's number two. Number three, Brett Kavanaugh's nomination. It's a timeline. It just follows the timeline for Kavanaugh's nomination. We won't go over all of it, but pretty much how it works. He was nominated on July the 9th. He went around and met people. So then the meeting started on September the 4th. The Senate Judiciary Committee is made up of 21 senators. They have 11 Republicans and 10 Democrats. Those committees are divided up so that whoever has the most senators in the in the Senate have control over these committees. They also have chairmanship over these committees. And depending on how big of a margin that you have in the Senate is the margin that you have in the committees. That's why the Senate Judiciary Committee is made up of 11 Republicans and 10 Democrats. That's how close it is. So they go on to talk about um, the diff- the days and when uh, Christine Blasey Ford testified and all that sort of thing, culminating to where we are now, which is the fact that Brett Kavanaugh is going to be the next Supreme Court Justice. Number four, this is a story about... Detective Jason Van Dyke. Uh, Detective Jason Van Dyke was convicted of second-degree murder in Chicago for the killing of Laquan McDonald. Jason Van Dyke is white. Laquan McDonald was black. He told uh, Laquan McDonald several times, put your weapon down. I think he had a knife, that sort of thing. 
But the problem is, is that there's video showing him shooting Laquan McDonald as he's walking away from him. So I don't disagree with this verdict. But anyway, the jurors have spoken. They've they've found him guilty of second degree murder. He'll probably spend probably get sentenced to ten years. He probably get out in about four. Um, juror after juror on Friday said that Jason Van Dyke was not a good witness. He was not believable, said a juror who identified herself as number 245, which I don't blame her. I wouldn't tell anybody who I was either. I felt he shouldn't have testified. He messed up. His testimony wasn't credible to me. The 12 jurors found Van Dyke, a Chicago police officer, guilty of second-degree murder on 16 counts, one for each bullet of aggravated battery for the 2014 killing of Laquan McDonald. One juror said of Van Dyke's testimony, it was rehearsed. He had a lot of I don't knows. Another one said he was fumbling around trying to remember things. His memories and facts and other evidence didn't line up. Van Dyke testified McDonald turned his torso towards him and raised a knife across his body. At that point, he shot him, Van Dyke said. But prosecutor Josie Gleason challenged Van Dyke's account, pointing out one of several inconsistencies in his testimony. You've sat here for several days and watched several videos. Have you ever seen Laquan McDonald do that on one of these videos, she asked. But he acknowledged he didn't see McDonald raising the knife. The jurors watched the dash cam video multiple times, they said. One of the jurors said it showed Van Dyke stepping forward toward McDonald instead of stepping back. We all pretty much thought he could have avoided it if he had retreated. Well, I'm not sure about retreating on that deal, but definitely shouldn't shoot somebody in the back. I don't give you shit if you are a cop that's not cool all right that's number four number five this is a nice little story 84 years ago a woman borrowed a book from a library this week her son returned it well that's cool shreve memorial library in louisiana waived its three dollar late fee for the man who returned a book more than eight decades later in 1934 the man's mother checked out spoon river anthology by edgar lee masters when she was 11 the book is a collection of poems written as first person narratives by the dead residents of the fictional town of spoon river reflecting on their lives and deaths that's right pretty creepy we thought the title was appropriately spooky to turn up again after all this time right around Halloween. The man was cleaning his parents' home when he found the book and decided to return it. He said it was what his mother would have done. Well, not really. It's not really what his mother would have done because she didn't return it. Just saying. But anyway, the binding's loose on the book, the first edition, so the library had it decommissioned. But the book that Morales, it's, it's a book that Morales knows well. That Morales is the uh, library's assistant manager, Jackie Morales. Taken out April the 14th, 1934. So there you go. And that's the top five stories from CNN. We'll just recap them real quick. Number one, it's an analysis. It's a opinion piece about Donald Trump's winning streak and how that this may help him in the midterm elections. This coming from CNN. Again, I have to point out, CNN is not that horrible on Donald Trump. Uh, the second story is uh, Susan Rice may challenge Collins for the 20, in 2020 for her Senate seat. 
they give a number three is a timeline on the Brett Kavanaugh nomination. Uh, number four is jurors' reaction to Jason Van Dyke being uh, the Chicago cop who was convicted of second degree murder uh, for the killing of a black male. And then the number five story is a nice little piece about a woman who borrowed a book from the library 84 years ago and her son returned it. So those are the top five stories for CNN. Let's move on over to the Trump News Network. Oh, I mean Fox News. Number one is, of course, adding Kavanaugh likely to swing rulings in favor of conservatives, but Judge vows to be even-keeled. Well, I hope he's even-keeled because that's all we can ask for. I don't, I don't want somebody particularly conservative or particularly liberal in the uh, Supreme Court. I think that would be a bad situation. But he is going to be confirmed this afternoon on Saturday. Probably, probably be sworn in on Monday by the president or uh, one of the other Supreme Court justices. I'm not sure exactly who administers that oath. But the in- imminent confirmation of Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh will likely mean the dawn of a conservative high court for decades to come. If you remember... George Bush put in John Roberts as the chief justice, conservative guy. There have been a few others that's that's on there. There's now that Donald Trump's been able to put a couple of people on there, Gorsuch and now Kavanaugh, then it's, it's pretty much a conservative court, or at least conservative leaning. The U.S. Senate is set to hold a final vote Saturday to confirm Kavanaugh as the next Supreme Court justice, while most Republicans and Democrats differ in their views on whether President Trump's pick should be confirmed. There's a general bipartisan agreement that the nominee will swing the Supreme Court toward the right. And I think what's worrying some people whenever it comes to uh, conservatives and liberals, the liberals, I think, are worried that Roe v. Wade's going to be overturned, or the abortion law is going to be overturned. I, I just don't think that's even an issue myself. All right. That's number one. It's it's uh, how the court's swinging conservative, the Supreme Court. Number two, NBC station fires reporter for wearing a MAGA hat while covering the Trump rally. Well, that seems unfair. A television reporter in southern Minnesota might need a new hat saying, Make me employed again. James Booner, a multimedia journalist for NBC affiliate KTTC-TV in Austin, was fired Friday for reportedly wearing a Make America Great Again hat while covering President Trump's rally in Rochester on Thursday. As the rally got underway, images of Booner wearing the bright red hat began appearing on Twitter. Knowles Setterstrom, the station's news director, told the Star Tribune of Minneapolis that the station's policy does not allow staff members to wear apparel from political campaign campaigns while covering stories. Booner had uploaded a video of himself appearing to celebrate while dancing in a newsroom on Trump's inauguration day. Me watching the Trump inauguration, he wrote in the description. Sederstrom told BuzzFeed that Booner was fired for wearing the hat during Thursday's rally, not because of the political views displayed on his social media page. Okay, so let's take that over to Kaepernick. Kaepernick is celebrated and gets a Nike deal because he's out there doing something while he's employed. Not on his time off, not on his social media page, but while he's employed. This reporter gets fired 
by the liberal press who has been championing Kaepernick's uh, protest kneeling during the national anthem. It's the same thing. It just goes to show you how there's a liberal bias and how that they're 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 just hypocritical. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. All right, that's number two. Uh, number three. This is a okay. This is an opinion piece. Number three is an opinion piece. Tammy Bruce. She's a writer for Fox News. Susan Collins' speech tells us a lot about the GOP in America. In the midst of the debacle over the Senate confirmation of Judge Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court, Senator Susan Collins, Republican Maine. Remember that's who he's talking about. That Susan Rice may challenge in Maine. Delivered a speech on the Senate floor Friday that reminded us of the potential of political discourse there. As a supporter of Donald Trump and critic of the establishment swamp, I can say these last few weeks of the Kavanaugh confirmation hearing have delivered more than one surprise for all of us. Watching the Republican Party come together and seeing senators who have personified the weakness of GOP stand up for what's right has been a revelation. Talking about Mitch McConnell, talking about Lindsey Graham, and if you remember, Lindsey Graham just went off into uh, on those other senators about how they're trying to denigrate this good good man, he said. So it's a whole opinion piece about how the Republicans have really come together over this nomination. And I think this is a loser for Democrats if they think they're going to take this to the midterms. I don't think it's going to play to middle America. Okay, number four. Violent fight over cocaine led to ex-Playboy model strangulation death, suspect told police. All right, this is horrible. A man accused of fatally strangling a former Playboy model told police they had a violent fight over cocaine, according to a statement. Jonathan Harris, 30, said he went to the apartment of Christina Carlin Craft, 36, in an affluent Philadelphia suburb to sell her cocaine, but she refused to pay, and an altercation ensued. I panicked, and I was scared. I don't know what to do said in a statement i knew i was going to be in trouble that statement was read in court he was arrested august 29th in pittsburgh as he was attempting to leave pennsylvania authorities have said he is charged with murder robbery theft and other related crimes in the august 22nd death of carlin craft according to the warrant filed in harris's arrest the two met in downtown philadelphia just hours before death there was no evidence they previously knew each other all right well, stay away from the cocaine. The cocaine. The cocaine will kill you. Stay away from the cocaine. And the last one, Murphy Brown remake is in the news. You know, that show that was on in the 90s, and it was all, hey, I am woman, hear me roar. Well, it's back. They've remade it. And I'm, I, just as an aside on all this, I'm really tired of all these remakes on shows. I don't care if they're shows I liked or didn't like. Come on, man. You can't think of something new. Well, anyway, Murphy Brown makes a real Sarah Sanders a target of fake reporters rant. Murphy Brown put politics front and center again in the rebooted comedy second episode Thursday when the title character infiltrated a White House press briefing and took aim at Press Secretary Sarah Sanders. The episode titled I parentheses don't heart huckapee which is a she, her name's sarah sanders she's the daughter of mike huckabee and then there's a a famous i think it's a movie that's called i heart huckabee and now this episode's titled i don't 
Hart Huckabee. Featured a fake cameo by Sanders, culled from actual clips of Sanders' real interaction with real reporters. Brown, a fictional journalist played by Candace Bergen, is banned from all press briefings but sneaks in wearing a disguise. Her appearance briefly embarrasses her son Avery, a journalist for the conservative Wolf Network. Get it, Fox? Wolf? Ha 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 ha. Ha ha. In the roughly two-minute scene, Brown interrupts another reporter before Sanders calls her actions really inappropriate. Brown fires back. If you really want to talk about what's inappropriate, how about the way you do your job, she says. The role of the White House press secretary is to create transparency in the government and tell the American people the truth. But that's not what happens in this room. Well, bully for you, Candace Bergen. You've told her off. All right. Well, that's Fox News. They've got the uh, conservative swing of the Supreme Court. That's the first one. The second one is the reporter that got fired for wearing... The Make America Great Again hat while he was on the job. They were quick to point out he didn't get fired because of stuff he put on his own social media, but because that he wore it while he was at work. And I'm just contrasting that to the fact that Kaepernick is at work when he kneels in protest for Black Lives Matter. going to have to say that he should be fired just like the other, but they don't because they're hypocrites. Then there's an opinion piece. Number three is an opinion piece about Susan Collins saying she's going to vote for uh, Kavanaugh and how that you know the Republicans are really fighting for the Kavanaugh seat on the uh, Supreme Court and how that that's really solidifying all of the Republicans. And number four, uh, we find out that a former Playboy model uh, was killed over drugs at uh, the guy that, that killed her, said he just met her a few hours before and it was all about the cocaine, so... Stay away from the cocaine, yeah. The cocaine. Can you do that? Stay away from the cocaine. Okay. And the last story is about the Murphy Brown Murphy Brown reboot. And how that they had a fake Sarah Sanders episode because Murphy Brown's a reporter. The character is and how she's challenging her and telling her how how, how it is. We're going to tell you how it is and, you know, all that kind of crap. So, all right. That's the top five on CNN and Fox News. And you can see that they're all very different. I will say, though, that CNN tends to have a lot of articles about how the great the country's doing under Donald Trump. I find that kind of amusing and surprising up next is the unknown redneck and we're going to get an update on what's going on in his life we'll see how his stove fund's doing i guess see you in a few hey friends it's unknown redneck back again we're going to tell you a little bit what's going on this weekend. Cheryl Dunn told me that I shouldn't sit around complaining all the time about Kurt Angle standing there and playing them devilish video games. And she said, unless I was going to do something about it. And you know what? I got to thinking about that. And I said, you know, you're right. So what I did is I got Kurt Angle. Me and him's going to go fishing this evening. We're going to go down there at the lake. We're going to wet a hook, as they say, and see what we can catch. And if we don't catch nothing, I hope we catch a good time. And I'm going to get him out of the house if it's the last thing I do. Because he sits in there and plays them old video. Well, I start down that road again. I don't want to do that. I'm just going to say I'm going to try to do something better. 
and do better uh, for him. So I guess it's a failure on my part. If I let him in there doing that stuff and I pay for it all and that sort of thing, then I guess it's partly my fault. I can't blame him for that. So we're going to get out and we're going to go down there and fishing. I guess uh, maybe this evening if we catch any fish, I'll show him how to clean them. Because I'm sure he don't know how unless there's some kind of video game that's got fishing on it. And if he's fishing, I'm sure there ain't no part on it where you learn how to clean the fish. Anyhow... We ain't gonna have to spend no money because we're gonna fish in a pond and we just gonna use a hook and a worm and I reckon that don't cost nothing, thank goodness, because you know the government's all about paying, making us pay for everything going around here. But anyhow, we're gonna go down there and fish a little while and I think Star Jean and Cheryl's actually gonna go out and try to do a little extra Christmas shopping before it gets too late. They're gonna go out and do, do a little early Christmas shopping. Well, that's going to probably put a little dent in the stove fund because I know how they are whenever they go out, you know. But maybe they want to get everything done a little quicker and that sort of thing and get Kurt Angle one of them video games and then they're done. That's all they had to do for him. They make him plumb happy. But anyhow, that's a little short update. This is the weekend, you know. We, we're just trying to have a little family time. and You know, I don't work in there much on Saturdays from the woodworking shop, but sometimes I have to. But I didn't have to this weekend. And uh, Starla Jean was off this weekend. Didn't have to make biscuits, dinner, tarties. And so her and mama's going out, and they're going to shop a little bit, and me and Kurt Angle's going to go fishing, and I guess we'll just try to make a good time. I'll let you know if we catch anything, and see if it, see if it tastes good or not, and how good a job that Kurt Angle did there. Anyhow, I saw known redneck. You know where I am. Well, all right. Kurt Angle and unknown redneck's going to go fishing. Well, I hope they catch a bunch. I hope they catch a big one. Then they can mount it. That'd be awesome. And the last little thing we've got going on today is something great in the volunteer state. Dateline, Nashville, Tennessee. The Tennessee State Museum reopens in its very own building. The museum's new location on Rosa Parks Boulevard opens this week. After spending more than 30 years tucked away in the basement of James K. Polk Center, the Tennessee State Museum will reopen in a new $160 million space near the Nashville Farmers Market and the Bicentennial Capitol Mall State Park on October the 4th. Well, that's awesome. The museum will soon have its own building, complete with dedicated parking between it and the Nashville Farmers Market. It's going to make a tremendous statement about the value we put on history and should help public history statewide, says the Director of Collections, Dan Pomeroy who's been with the Tennessee State Museum for decades. Having this dedicated space is gratifying beyond my ability to state. Pomeroy says it was something of a challenge to bring the museum up to the current day. Another concern, one that existed long before the new museum, is putting together a collection that represents the entire state. I'm aware of the challenge of representing every part of Tennessee from Mountain City to Memphis and we've made a huge effort not to only represent geographic diversity but also ethnic and racial diversity as well. Access to the new museum is free to the public and the museum will now include a new children's gallery. Well, that's awesome, folks. Man, if you get out down there, you should go see that. That's pretty cool. And uh, we will see, I guess, whether it does show the three grand divisions of the state of Tennessee. And I'm sure people who are from Tennessee know this. I'm from Tennessee, so it's pretty easy for me to know this. But, you know, the east part of of the state, real mountainous. We're in the Smoky Mountains, and everything around here has got a hill or a curve or something. And then you come off down on what we call the Cumberland Plateau, 
and the state starts to flatten out a little bit. And by the time you get to Memphis, it's flat as a flitter. And very long state, and we go across a lot of geography that way. But it's not just geography. People act different from one end of the state to the other. And I don't mean they're better or worse. I just mean they're different. Because in the east, because we're in the mountains, you know, we tend to stay, you know, to ourselves and be among ourselves. And then further west you go, the bigger the cities are. You know, you've got west of us from where I am. It's Knoxville, which is not a great big city, but it's big enough. And then there's Chattanooga, and there's, and keep going west, and you got Nashville, and then you've got Memphis, and and uh, these are big cities by comparison. And these people don't act the same way we do. So I hope they represent all three grand divisions of the state of Tennessee, and I think that'll be a wonderful thing. I'm glad they've opened that museum. I'm gonna try to get out there and see it. When I go see it, I'll try to give you a report on it. Okay, folks, that's all for today. I just want to remind you all that we are available on the iTunes podcast app. We're on we're on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, we're on uh, Google Play, we're on a bunch of different platforms. You can also get on Anchor Podcast. Anchor Podcast is uh, how I do my podcast. It's free, doesn't cost you a penny, folks. So if you're wanting to start a podcast about, oh, I don't know, how to make brass monkeys, then get on Anchor. Start you a podcast. Literally do it about anything. Good day. Thank you for listening. Leave me a message. If you do have the Anchor Podcast app, get on there and leave me a message. Maybe I'll play it before one of my episodes. Hit me up on Twitter, at Podcast Kevin, and maybe I'll argue with you. Be more than happy to. Five days in and I'm already arguing with somebody. So I've definitely took to Twitter, I guess. Until next time, it's deuces and duck lips. We need to build a wall, and it has to be built quickly.